we here at Rocky Mountain Red-Handed want to share a stress warning with you. Our cases and stories involve mental illness, sexual assault, suicide, gun violence, and emotional trauma. Please listen with care. If you or someone you know is suffering in the U.S., please reach out to 988, the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. Hey! Hey everyone, Mel and Beck here. We just wanted to drop in and remind you to follow us on our social medias. So our Instagram and our Facebook are Rocky Mountain Red Handed, and our Twitter is RMRH Podcast. Yeah, so go and check out our social medias. We always post great pics that have to do with our uh, cases, case notes, anything that we find interesting, we share with you guys. Also, Mel, what's that email address? Our email is RockyMountainRedHanded at gmail.com. Yeah, send us in your case recommendations. We want to know about local cases in your community and how they have affected your towns. So hit us up. Let us know of, of the cases you want to hear in the Rocky Mountains. The Rocky Mountains hold many mysteries. Millions of people enjoy the natural beauty, but some come across the hidden dangers. This is Rocky Mountain Red-Handed. I'm Melanie, here with my dear friend, Becky. The stories we share are remembered by some, but forgotten by many. Let's dive in to Rocky Mountain Red-Handed. Good afternoon, Becky. How are you doing today? Good afternoon, Mel. How are you? I'm doing good. We were talking a little bit before recording, and Becky's had quite <sighs> quite the interesting now, week. I have had some challenges. I have a really cute dog, which our dogs are best friends. Yes, they play together all the time. They're so cute. She's the cutest thing ever, and she pissed me off the other day, so I put her in my car. Long story short... She chewed up an entire panel of my passenger door, and then she chewed through five seatbelts. Oh, Becky. And does anyone out there know how expensive seatbelts are? They're so expensive. We're looking at like 1500 bucks just to fix the seatbelts. Oh my gosh, Becky. But I, I got that a little... belt in my family. You got to keep them safe, I guess. <laughs> we that's, need seatbelts. That's my job. We need seatbelts these days. Well, that's so, rough. Yeah, she's really lucky that she's cute. Yes, she is very cute. And our dogs play so well together. Gosh. In fact, every time we get together to record, they go play at Becky's house and re-record at my house yep. so that they are entertained. So they're having fun right now. Hopefully not chewing up anything no, else. Mel, don't say that. Well, and this You're comes after us. Becky was just in a car accident. And my son and the following day. Yes. So, so two car accidents, dog chewing my van apart. It's been a month. You guys. might just need to start walking or biking everywhere. <laughs> now, do you remember I said, I'm just going to get a rickshaw? And you were like, You did a rickshaw. Because <laughs> you're older than me, so you know what a rickshaw is, and I don't. Oh, I know man. everyone out there knows what a rickshaw is, Mel. You know what? I was reading with some kids the other day, and they had See? rickshaw in there and a picture of it. So I was like, This is what it is, kids. See, Mel, you just used to read more. I'm just learning all <laughs> sorts of things from Becky. All right, well, let's dive into our story Let's today. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, Becky, 
you have kids. Yes. How how is your labor and delivery with your kids? I am the biggest downer today. Not great. I'll tell you, not great. I have C-sections because I'm just not, I'm not one of those women that can pop those babies out. So how about you, Mel? Um, well, my first one I did without an epidural and that was rough. Sanity. Yes. In fact, sorry, little side story. I actually was near the end of having the baby and I told my midwife that I wanted an epidural. And she's like, are you sure? It's going to take like an hour to get it. And in my head, my thought process was, I will be dead in an hour. So I didn't want to put her out. I'm like, please don't waste your time. I'm going to be dead. So I had my first one natural. My others were great because I got the epidural. So they were actually pretty good. Epidurals are fantastic. They are. Yes. Yes. Uh Well, our case today is definitely the definition of juxtaposition. I did not know what that word was. And Becky explained it to me. I'm learning all sorts of things on the podcast. (laughs) Becky, why don't you tell us what that even means? Juxtaposition is taking two events or two things that are polar opposites and putting them in the same situation, the same event. And our case today is definitely a juxtaposition. I hope I'm not coming across as being really dumb because (laughs) Becky is just having to explain what everything means today. So um, giving birth is a sacred event to be shared with only closest family and friends and not a madman set on revenge. Today's story is about a hero nurse and a madman at Alta View Hospital. So Alta View Hospital Women's Center is located at 9660 South 13th East in Sandy, Utah. It's an Intermountain Healthcare Hospital and it's nestled on the bench of the Wasatch Mountains. There are a lot of babies born in Utah due to the prominent religion here in Utah, which is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. About 70% of the state's um, residents are consider themselves a part of that church, and it's a very family-focused faith. Family is a really big deal um, in Utah. So the birth rate is about 25% higher than the rest of the nation. So lots of big families. I would say... Most people, I'm Utah born and raised, and I would say most people have like between three to five kids. Yeah, that's you probably think? about right, mm-hmm. I would say. Yep. Yeah. The Worthington family was ju- living just a few miles from Alta View Hospital. They were a very large family. They had eight kids. Um, two of those did die in infancy. That's a lot of kids. That is a lot of kids. They were active in the community and very well liked. They loved their schools and attended church nearby their home. And they were members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Yes, they were. So Richard Worthington was the 39-year-old, 39-year-old father and husband, and he was a landscaper by trade. He loved the outdoors, and he was well-known for his deep tan from working and playing outside. He was always outside. Um, he was very tall, athletic, and very adventurous. He loved mountain biking, and just right there on the bench in Salt Lake, you've got mountains and lots of land to explore to bike to river to skiing yeah lots of skiing yeah it's a great place to live karen his wife stayed at home and obviously was very busy because Mm -hmm. she had six busy kids so she kept kept busy with them I think I said busy like six times. Well, there. she's You're really welcome. busy. She's very busy. <laughs> Richard and Karen's children were between the ages of two and 17. 
she was the neighborhood mom and was loved by all. So we all know that kind of mom. Yeah. You feel comfortable going to their house. They always have food, right? Yeah, the revolving door. Yes. Kids going in and out, in and out. Yep. Mm-hmm. She was known for helping out neighbors and doing all she could to support and care for the people she loved. She sounded really dedicated to her family. Yes. Yeah. But everything was not as perfect as it looked from the outside. Two years prior to our story, Karen had just given birth to her youngest son and asked Dr. Glade Curtis, her OBGYN there at Altaview Hospital, to give her a tubal ligation. Mel, do you know what a tubal is? I don't know exactly what it is. Um, Next time we record, though, I'm going to look into everything before (laughs) we record so I sound smarter. Well, what, what it is, is when your fallopian tubes are cut and knotted off so that a woman cannot get pregnant. So it's just a, it really, it, it's a major surgery, major, major surgery. So that's why most, in most couples, the men get a little snip, snip rather than the tubal. Yes, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. After the surgery, Richard Worthington, who is Karen's husband, he was extremely upset about it. And... That's basically an understatement Major of understatement. the year. Yes. Mm-hmm. The Salt Lake City Police Sergeant Don Bell reported that Worthington believed his wife had not consented to the operation. So he believed that this doctor did this procedure without her consent. Which seems insane. But anyway, yeah. Bell told, I, we're going to find out that a lot of Richard Worthington's points of view in this story aren't based in reality. So, uh, Bell told the AP, he said he the, he said that they were all liars, the doctors and nurses at Altaview. They were cheaters. Worthington had threatened a divorce and suicide over this surgery. Sounds like it was a surprise to him, don't you think? Yes, that's probably, I mean, I don't know what their relationship was like, but that's usually something you'd have a conversation with your husband about before you did it. Big conversation. I, But we don't know the whole situation. Maybe she had, maybe we don't, we just don't know. I would assume, and again, this is me completely assuming that this had been a, a conversation and a desire for that she had wanted for a while. I that's as a woman, I know that birth control is a big decision and it's not something that we do without planning. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, not, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Richard contacted Dr. Curtis over and over again after the procedure. Um, he harassed and threatened this poor doctor for months before things finally came to a boil almost two years later on Friday, September 20th, 1991. In two years. He stewed about him for two years. So shortly after 11.30 p.m., Richard Worthington entered the Women's Center at Altaview Hospital. The Women's Center is a separate structure, but on a very large campus of Altaview Hospital. So it includes like a critical care, emergency room, and like other specialty wings. So Richard Richard entered this building. He was armed with a shotgun, a handgun, and explosives strapped to his chest, and he had a 357 Magnum revolver in his hand. Okay, so I wanted to kind of get a picture of what was going on. Okay. And I'm somewhat familiar with guns, but I'm not a gun nut whatsoever. So I asked my husband, <laughs> and the way he explained it to me is if you watch The Walking Dead. Mel, do you watch The Walking Dead? My husband watches The Walking Dead, <laughs> but I just, I can't do it. I, I gave up 
a couple seasons ago okay. when, when Glenn was killed. Sorry, no spoilers, but it's a couple years ago, you guys. But Rick, the main character in Walking Dead, has a really cool big 357 Colt. And that and my husband said it's that gun. So okay. which is a really, really powerful revolver. Yes. If I were ever around zombies, it's probably the type of gun I would exactly. have, right? Okay. Exactly. You want something powerful. Mm-hmm. So he began shooting outside of the building and continued shooting while he was shouting and cursing. He was yelling that his wife had been raped by Dr. Glade Curtis, which is the first time we've heard that he said this. He was mad about the surgery, but rape had never come up. And and I'm just imagining these poor women who are preparing to give birth or who is in the middle or who had just had a baby in that bubble that you feel like you're in with your newborn, you know, and then having this madman walk in and just just disrupt the peace. Yeah, and usually on a labor and delivery floor, it's usually pretty quiet. It's very quiet. Besides the babies crying off Mm -hmm. and on, but to hear someone come in and just start yelling and cursing, that would would Mm -hmm. be awful and really scary. So Dr. Curtis was a respected obstetrician. He had an impeccable record of medical practice and ethics. Worthington screamed for Dr. Curtis by name and seemed insane with anger. He yelled at everyone that if he was going to die, all of the people in the women's center would die with him. I can't imagine. Mm -mm. Dr. Curtis was at the women's center and he was actually getting ready to deliver a baby. He heard the screaming and the shouting and I'm sure he knew exactly who it was. Wouldn't you think like if he's, if he's hearing his name scream after two years after being harassed by this guy, he probably knew his voice. He probably heard him on the phone a bunch of times. He probably knew who it was. Yeah, so Dr. Curtis and a nurse who was with him at the moment, they were very, very smart. They understood the gravity of the situation. They thought fast, and they grabbed two bassinets. Mel, you know the big bassinets that are on wheels? Yes. They grabbed two bassinets and loaded them full of multiple newborns. They escaped out of a side emergency exit and down an alleyway to safety. What heroes to save Mm -hmm. these babies as much as they could. Um, Nurse Margie Weiler was another nurse involved in the hostage situation. She said of Dr. Curtis, I feel very strongly that if Dr. Curtis had come into that room, we all would have died. The very best thing he could have done was stay out of it. Yeah. So she says, I feel like him leaving was the best possible situation because it would have it would have just put him over the edge mm-hmm. if he'd come in the room. Now, Dr. Curtis was able to help his co-workers and his patients from the outside of the hostage, the hostage situation. Pardon me. He worked with the police, the SWAT team members in detailing the layout of the hospital, current patients in the women's center, the nurses and other staff, and they helped the police know who Richard Worthington is and the history between the two men. Okay, so we will get back into the story. Um, Richard Worthington had taken eight hostages. Now, we did have some conflicting information here. So as best we can tell, he did take eight hostages. Three of those were nurses, Carla Roth, Susan Woolley, and Margie Weiler, new mother, Christian Downey, new father, Adam Cisneros, sister to the new mother, Carrie Downey, and two newborn babies. Worthington barricaded himself and his hostages in a patient room on the first floor of the west side of the women's center. 
He kicked out the windows, fired his gun, and shouted to the police that he had 41 sticks of dynamite. That's a lot of dynamite, Mel. That is a lot of dynamite. It can literally, I researched this, it can literally take out a half a city block. The police turned to several different agencies for support in this situation. SWAT teams from two neighboring cities, West Jordan City and West Valley City, and then the Metro Bomb Squad there in Salt Lake County. With dynamite strapped to his chest, Worthington turned to Nurse Weiler and asked that she call his wife, Karen. Weiler called Karen and told her who she was and what was going on. Karen was really upset and apologized for the situation. She told Nurse Weiler that she had known he was headed to the hospital 45 minutes ago, but was hoping it was just another threat from her husband. She said she was very sorry she didn't call 911 earlier, which hindsight is 2020, but I wish she had called. I, in my research, there are some different opinions in this situation. Some people laid the blame at her feet. And I don't know, I, I'm just feel like there is abundant emotional abuse signs in this short conversation that she had with this woman that she didn't know. I mean, what are, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. And he'd been threatening to do things for two years. So it probably just felt to her, I, I don't lay the blame at her feet. Mm -hmm. I wish she had called and done something, but he'd been threatening it for so long that I can see her just being like, oh, it's another one of his threats and nothing's going to happen. And so, like you said, hindsight's twenty twenty, but also I don't... I don't think that we can ever judge an individual in a domestic abuse situation with a partner. I agree. The, you know, the, you've been gaslighted for so long. You've been, you know, told that you are worthless. I mean, we don't know. I'm, I'm. We're making a little bit of assumptions I'm, here. I'm totally making assumptions here, but he seemed so, so dead set on controlling his family. In, in my point of view, I don't understand why you would not speak to your partner about about the choice of make of having more kids. It seemed to me that his his family was his family, right? And that he was going to control the situation. So I don't know. That part really really touched me because this poor woman. I can't imagine getting that phone call from this nurse and says, "I have your husband here with and guns and dynamite." He, he has forty one sticks of dynamite. Yeah. And guns, yeah. So, anyway, using that same phone after speaking to Karen and with Worthington's permission, the nurses were able to communicate with the police for just a few minutes. But then, of course, Richard quickly changed his mind and he shot the phone with his gun, destroying the, their their one one connection to the outside world. At twelve thirty a.m., about an hour after Worthington had began this nightmare, Karen Worthington and their bishop. Uh, Bishop is just a leader of a group of... Like a pastor or a priest. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, arrived to assist the police. Remember, this is an active hospital oh. during this hostage situation. So there was no time to self uh, safely remove patients. The hospital staff contacted patients over the phone. They were told to stay in the rooms with the door locked. Police guarded the doors and patrolled in the hospital areas with patients. And that would just be so oh, scary. Goodness, I can't believe that. At 12.40 a.m., Worthington moved to another room in on the second floor of the north side of the Women's Center. Uh, he demanded Adam Cisneros. Remember, he's the new father. 
He wanted him to go outside to retrieve a bomb Worthington had left in the bushes near the parking garage. With a threat of Worthington killing his girlfriend, Adam ran outside, grabbed the bomb, and returned back to his newborn girlfriend and Richard Worthington. So, Becky, the hospital at this point is full of patients, including ICU and newborns. There were medical professionals. Richard Worthington has a surplus of explosives. And this is a fully working hospital. It's just, it's, it's insane. And with so many explosives, he could take out half a city block. He could take out this whole hospital if he decided to. Um, he has a bomb and three guns as well. Uh, this is making, and I'm just realizing this right now. When you go and visit someone at the hospital, there is heavy security. You have to like get permission to come in and everything. Yeah. And especially, I don't know, at the hospitals that I had, you had your babies in Washington state, right? Um, I had all my babies in different states, actually. I had oh. one in Washington, one in North Dakota, and one in Utah. Oh, you busy girl. I know. Um, no, but at my hospital, you had to have a wristband and you had to be buzzed into those doors. Those those OB floors are like locked down. Yeah, the floors that have babies are very locked down. Yeah. So now I'm understanding, <laughs> fully understanding the reason for this security. Because, I mean, we're in the early 90s here. Oh, that's when you could just walk anywhere you want in an airport. We've got completely different security measures across the board nowadays. Definitely. At this point, police were busy. Mm -hmm. They were trying to coordinate efforts of multiple agencies. They were arranging negotiators, reviewing maps and plans of the hospital, and strategizing their plan to stop this horrible scene from escalating. Yeah, they were we, trying to keep everybody safe. They did not need any escalation. Yeah. Outside the hospital, doctors, nurses, and families of patients waited. And I think, too, is the area. I'm familiar with the hospital. Are you familiar yes, with I the am. hospital? Yeah. Um, that's right, because we both lived there. Um, there are residential homes all nearby. around and a school yes there's that middle school right there too so yeah this is this is an area with lots of people i'm sure residents were being were being out you know out of their houses that is an interesting thought i wonder and we don't we don't have this information but i do wonder if they evacuated the school during this i would imagine they would yeah, that next day, I'm sure they did. I yeah. imagine. But I guess what we want to let our listeners know is this is a very, very busy part of the Salt Lake Valley. Lots of, there's shopping around there, residential homes, school, and this huge hospital. So, um, so people are wondering, with their loved ones trapped in that hospital, I'm sure that they were wondering what's going on in there. It's, it's the middle of the night. It's dark. And they're just playing a waiting game with Richard Worthington. By 1 a.m., the SWAT team was in place and a sharpshooter reported being able to have a visual of Worthington in the hospital. Before he could take a shot, Worthington saw him and began shooting out of the window. It was apparent Worthington was losing what little patience he had. So again, Richard moved to another location in the hospital, up to the third floor to Dr. Curtis's office. This office was located actually in the center of the building and did not have any outside windows. Looks like Richard wasn't going to take that, that chance again. Yes. Ten minutes later, the police escorted between 20 to 30 patients safely out of the hospital. The evacuees ran from the hospital with their hands in the air, surrounded by SWAT team members. As the hospital was being evacuated, Richard Worthington was feeling very sorry for himself. 
he complained of his place in life and defended his behavior. In his mind, Melanie, he was the victim. Richard told the hostage hostages that it wasn't his fault that they were all going to die that night. He said that they should sue the hospital for the situation in any pain or injury if they would survive. There's definitely some mental illness probably we, coming we, into We've got this. a detachment from reality, yes, for sure. I agree. Mm-hmm. Alta View Hospital is located right on 13th East. We talked a little bit about this. It's a very busy street that runs north and south through the Salt Lake Valley. Um, lining the busy street are huge high-mast lights. These lights are usually about 90 feet tall, and they put out a very strong, bright light in all directions. We, we see these lights all over in every city. They're the big, big lights that light up highways, freeways, main city centers. Yeah, so these are very, very large lights. Yes. So to help aid in the element of surprise, SWAT teams walked along 13th East and they shot out all of the surrounding lights. The hospital was now surrounded by darkness. This helps give them the element of surprise. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Shortly after, Worthington emerged from the hospital with nurses Carla Roth and Susan Woolley. Pardon me. They were moved in a cluster towards Worthington's car in a nearby parking lot. I can kind of just imagine those nurses. I'm assuming that they, at a threat of violence, were moving close to him, moving as almost a group. Police shouted to freeze and nurse Carla Roth went for Worthington's gun in his hand. Worthington regained control of the weapon, and he shot and killed Nurse Carla Roth. The bullet entered her back and through the aorta. She was 37 years old. It was her first week at Alta View Hospital. What a hero trying to reach for the gun and such a scary situation to be in and just feel for her and her family. She sounds like such a brave woman and a woman that wasn't going to allow her patients or her friends be put in danger anymore. She's she's amazing. So Worthington then used a nurse Woolley, the 37-year-old mother of 11. Um, she had a six-month-old baby oh at home at the gosh. time. Yep. She, uh, he used her as a shield to get back into the hospital. David Roth, Carla's husband, stated, Carla was a very strong person, headstrong. You might call her stubborn. I just knew that she had to try to stop him or to jump him. She could not have lived with herself if she had not tried. This woman, I I think I would be friends with her. I love a good, strong, stubborn woman. (laughs) (laughs) After the death of our dear Carla Roth, Worthington grew even more volatile. He was agitated and his mental capacity was definitely diminishing. The surviving hostages spoke to him at length and tried to convince him to surrender to the police. After speaking to his wife and his bishop, Richard Worthington agreed to surrender at 5.45 a.m. Sandy Fire Chief Jake Nelson said about 70 officers, three local special weapons teams, and agents of the FBI and ATF were involved. Keith Whitmore, a neighbor of the Worthington family, was shocked by the news. He said, he's a wonderful father and neighbor. He has a lighted horseshoe pit in his backyard, and he invites all the neighbors to come and play in it. He was just a normal guy. Um, At this point, we're going to take one more break, and we'll be right back. 
Rocky Mountain Red Handed is brought to you by Balance of Nature. I love my Balance of Nature. I take it every morning and it makes me feel so good. I do not like to eat vegetables, so I take my Balance of Nature to be able to get in the nutrients that I need. Go to balanceofnature.com and use promo code REDHANDED for 35% off your first order. We call it three and three. I take my three capsules of veggies, three capsules of fruits, and it gives me all I need. So that's balance of nature, promo code red handed. Okay. And we're back. So that conversation with the neighbor, just saying he's a quote, normal guy that just goes to show you, you never know what's going on behind closed doors. People are able to hide a lot and act a certain way when they're around neighbors and other people and then behind closed doors things can be different Mm -hmm. and I think too we have a culture of like mind your own business that we tend to kind of you know look the other way if we see something a little off yes definitely so um, Karen Worthington divorced her husband shortly after the hostage event I think that's a good move I think it was time yes yes Mm -hmm. On May 28, 1992, Altaview Hospital held a celebration of life for nurse Carla Roth. Wes Thompson, an Altaview Hospital administrator, spoke at the event and said, Carla will always be very much a part of this hospital because of her courage in the face of danger and her willingness to protect our patients and staff from harm. I think that's such a beautiful statement. Carla's husband, David, along with their four kids, the youngest was just 20 months old at the time, Baby, Mm -hmm. uh, were in attendance at the celebration of life. David shared, Carla was not afraid to die. I believe what she did that night saved others' lives and made Richard Worthington think about not pulling the trigger one more time or setting off a bomb. She died for a reason. David and Carla were planning on starting to try for another child that fall. David was asked uh, what his feelings he had towards Richard Worthington were, and he said, I don't really have any feelings toward him, but I feel deeply sorry for his family. What a generous man Yeah, to think about his family, but I'm sure Richard Worthington's family suffered. I'm sure they did. I like that he said that, that Carla helped him not pull that trigger again. I mean, we don't know, but her just standing up in that moment and resisting um, him and his weapon, it probably scared him. Yeah. It probably scared him and hopefully it helped him make the right decision. Worthington pled guilty to murder, eight counts of aggravated kidnapping and one count of aggravated burglary. In exchange for his plea, prosecutors agreed to not seek the death penalty. Worthington attempted suicide and escape while at the Salt Lake County Jail and twice at Utah State Prison. Prosecutor Greg Scordis said he was a constant problem. He continued to tell all the other inmates he wasn't a criminal and he was better than they were. Inmates were beating him up on a regular basis because of his attitude. So even once he's in jail, he just has this attitude of I'm the victim it wasn't my fault. I didn't do anything wrong. Read the room, dude. I just keep your mouth shut so you don't oh get my beat up. Gosh. I am like picking up a lot of like narcissistic qualities out of this guy. Definitely. Worthington transferred to the New Mexico State Prison, but had the same problems there. During an escape attempt, Worthington fell off of a top bunk bed and broke both of his legs. He was then transferred to the Nevada State Prison. 
So, so now we've got like problems. two calves. Oh my gosh. Wherever he goes, he's just causing problems. On November 11th, 1993, prison officials made contact and checked on Worthington at 1.30 p.m. and 3.30 p.m. and all looked to be normal. At 5.50 p.m., officials discovered Richard Worthington hanging in his prison cell. He had died by suicide at the age of 41. His cell was clean and tidy with no note left behind. Attorneys for Worthington were set to make arguments before the Utah State Court of Appeals to throw out his guilty pleas due to incompetence on his part. Attorney Paul Gautier, Worthington's attorney, said, It doesn't surprise me that he would attempt to do it because I've been telling everybody I know he was incompetent. I feel terrible about losing his life in this manner. I wish he could have seen the outcome of his appeal. Gautier said Worthington suffered from bipolar mood disorder and was not capable of understanding what he was doing when he pled guilty. Prosecutor Greg Scordis said that he was not surprised to hear of this suicide. Quote, he always said there was no way he was going to serve 35 years. It always seemed one way or another he was going to get out. So Mel, what do you think? I mean, that's so heavy. It definitely seems like he had a lot of mental issues and things going on. I don't I don't know if he was competent at the time or not. I, I am not a psychologist, but I have worked with uh, people with addictions and a lot of mental health issues. And he's definitely coming across borderline to me, in, in my opinion. And any type of stress just exacerbates the situation so much worse. When you're dealing with bipolar mood disorder or borderline personality, you just never know what's going to set that person off. I am so grateful that Carlin Roth was able to to step up and stand up against him and it's such a shame that we lost such a such a wonderful person. Definitely. Um, that is the end of our story today. But if you or anyone you know is suffering from mental illness in the US, please call 988. And until next time, keep your hands clean. Keep your hands clean. Hey, thanks for listening. Thank you for supporting Rocky Mountain Red-Handed. And please go follow us on our social medias. Um, We'd love to hear your comments, and we want you to see all the pictures and the sources that we've posted. Our Instagram and our Facebook, again, are Rocky Mountain Red-Handed. And our Twitter is RMRH Podcast. And don't forget to email us. Yes. What's that email? Our email is RockyMountainRedHanded at gmail.com. Send us your case recommendations from your local community. Have a great day.